I would consider us technological pastors. You know, we, we pastor technology. Sure. Um, we're facilitating the message. Uh, but we're, we're having to ask ourselves questions of why am I doing this? Is this, is this a conversation birthed out of ego or is this out of impact? Like how, how is this piece of technology serving the mission or vision? Come into the light. Shadow moves in the dark. Congratulations! World's best cup of coffee. What is it? <gasps> Gaff tape. All right, welcome friends to another episode of Coffee and Gaff Tape. My name is Daniel Larson, and yes, Nate Anderson normally intros the show, but he is not with us today, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, maybe for some of you, you're like, finally, get that Nate guy off the show, but the show must go on. So don't forget, like, follow, share, all that good stuff that you guys are so great at doing. Um, It's really important not just, you know, not for us to know like we're doing a great job, but really for the show to get out there to gain some traction uh, by you guys sharing it. Uh, And and even in searches, as people kind of come across uh, Coffee and Gaff Tape, the production tech podcast, uh, we want them to hear from you and how you guys are being impacted by the show and how you guys are gaining some value from it um, instead of just hearing from us and us saying that that's what it's going to do. So, um, Today's interview, really, really excited about this. It's been a long time in the making. We are sitting down with Jesse Maitland from Bethel Production. Super cool guy. His story is incredible. How he ended up at Bethel um, is is amazing. So really excited for you guys to check this out. And uh, yeah, without further ado, let's get into the episode. All right. As promised, we are here with the one and only Jesse Maitland. Thank you so much for joining us, man. Uh, this is a huge honor for me because I've followed you uh, for a while now, just uh, keeping up with what Bethel is up to. And so thanks again for joining us. Awesome. Thanks for so, uh, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So um, let's jump right into the first question here. This is the question. Who is Jesse Maitland. Always good to start off with a nice deep question. Um, <laughs> uh, well, my name is Jesse. I've uh, worked in Bethel production for the last 21 years, um, which is a very long time. We're, we're going to get into that. <laughs> yeah, gonna... definitely. It's, it's kind of, uh, it's a lot to talk about, but uh, other people don't know. I also have done um, quite a bit of commercial work and corporate work, uh, mostly in the live event industry. So. Uh, like most people who are probably listening, um, I've definitely had my side hustle. Nice. Yeah. Everyone loves a good side hustle. Yeah. So I, I do well in the, in the business circles doing those kind of event things. That's awesome. Uh, just real quick, just so we don't pass it up. Like what, like what sort of commercial work? If if, if you were to drop some names, uh, maybe help us out. (laughs) Um, I've done some pretty cool gigs. Um, it's funny because the higher up you go, the smaller some of those events can get. And it's really about your ingenuity. So it's like, how quick can you adapt and like hmm. make changes? So sure. there's the high level, really high end produced programs or events. And then there's the ones that are, Hey, we're doing this um, one day event in downtown San Francisco at the DocuSign building, which is like a really big deal or um, the NASDAQ center in, in the same area. So did some stuff in like the Twitter headquarters building, which 
uh, it's kind of fun. Yeah. So things like that. That's awesome. Are you, are you, uh, are you verified on Twitter? <laughs> Ironically, I can't even get uh, Twitter to work for me. <laughs> I even created a new account and they just don't like me. I, I don't even post. So oh, no. <laughs> well, well, ho- hopefully this famous podcast will influence Twitter to get you Definitely. back on there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks, man. All right. So let's kind of start at the beginning. You know, how did you end up in the shadows of production? Oh, man. Gosh, do I want to go deep so fast? Um, I, you know, I started in junior high. I was a very, like, excited youth about uh, not only my salvation and my spirituality, which is, I guess, kind of uncommon at that age, but also common for people to to find their identity or to feel the call, you know? Mm. Um, so a lot of us are, are saved in church in that junior high age. But, um, you know, I'd been walking in my own relationship with the Lord since I was four. Wow. And when I got wow. to junior high, um, which that's way too much to talk about, but when I was uh, in junior high, I actually uh, really just... I, I was a smart student. I did great in school. I had fun. And my school said, Hey, um, we have this program at our local access station, which most of you won't know what that is. There used to be a thing where the community would, uh, some of the money paid into your cable company would be taxed. And that, that, that money would be used to, to build a studio that anyone in this, in the community could rent. Wow. Which, I mean, this is old school. That's amazing. yeah. And so we had this little access station, which uh, literally is for community access. So you can broadcast on your local TV. Um, and I, they did a training program and I went through this two week program, learned how to use all the ins and outs of the studio. Uh, me and my friends did. And that kind of was the, the, the thing that jumped, uh, jump-started the whole technical, uh, technical aspect of my life. And, you know, to make that a little deeper, it's like I, I had so much fun doing that. But I remember during the, I was going into my eighth grade year and I had a moment with the Lord where he just encountered me in a really powerful way and really emphasized um, how, how media and production was going to be a part of that message. Wow. Dude, that's insane. So at an early age, you're feeling this call into, mm-hmm. you know, tech media and also with that ministry aspect and you know what this this might sound like a weird question but like what did you think about that like were you like oh cool or were you like wait what like did that make sense to you at the time or or how did that kind of progress as you grew older yeah i think that's a actually that's a great question um when i was young i think i had a lot of like ambitious goals and I definitely had an idea of what I thought it would look like. Um, I think I, I was quickly mentored by a gentleman, uh, Gene Carpenter, who I believe is the absolute original media guy for Bethel Church. Okay. I think he is number one, um, to my knowledge. <laughs> and the, the, he, the OG. The OG. Yeah, he's like the actual OG. And <laughs> okay. he, uh, you know, he really taught me what it meant to. I guess how, what it meant. Cause I, I thought I needed to hit these high marks in production and he taught me what it meant to live the message, mm. you know? Okay. And it was such a okay. different thing. I, I remember at his uh, memorial service when he passed away, I was just like, man, we're finally reaching a dream. 
at the end of his life. And it kind of bothered me. And then I realized, uh, I think the, I guess the Lord just spoke to me and, and highlighted how, as these people were sharing about his life, he, you know, I realized his whole life was bringing the good news mm. and how the simple act of giving people DVDs or CDs or VHS tapes back then, um, saying, Hey, you got to listen to this message, which is his thing. He would be like, so-and-so needs to listen to this. And he would literally physically hand media to people, um, who he thought would really appreciate it. And I just thought that was so like such a simple act of we're not just capturing media, but this guy was living the message and impacting people, even though it wasn't his words, he was still delivering the message to people. And so it was just, that was a powerful thing for me. So it's like our life, we can have a vision or a calling um, and we can think it looks a certain way, but oftentimes we live, um, our life is the, is the ministry, I guess the, wow. Yeah. We are in that process. Like we, we, our calling isn't a destination. It's a process mm. and it's, you know, and you can become your message today. Like you can, your ministry starts today, not when you reach the high mark. Wow. That's great. Man. So sorry. I probably could have said that a little bit better, but no, no, <laughs> dude, that's amazing. No. And that's so true though. Like so often we can focus on, the idea of what we want to be or the idea of what we hope our ministry is or our calling is. And yet then we miss out on the here now and like where we are and the impact that we can have. And so I think that's really timely and really important. Um, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a question from the way back machine and I'm, <laughs> I'm going to look at my notes. So I, so I get the, the so I get the call letters, right. Tell us about uh, KGEC TV 26. <laughs> oh, goodness. I chuckle, man. I, I chuckle. This is a, this is a fun one. Um, because of that studio experience as a child, I think I was... Gosh, I think I was... Uh, as early as 14, I would literally ride my bike and uh, show up to a shift at this TV station as the master control switcher. And <laughs> Come on, man. I know. This, it's too, just, this it's... is too good. This is too good. <laughs> so here I was like this super young like kid who was literally riding his bicycle and I would show it, do my shift. I was actually, um, one of the programs I, I would insert, physically insert the, the media um, was for Joyce Meyer. So it was Joyce oh, wow. Meyer and a couple other like Christian speakers that I can't recall who they are, but I'd be sitting there doing my, uh, doing my program and then I would do my inserts and my commercial breaks and stuff and just listening to, to this content. And that was a fun, that was actually a really fun season. It was all new to me. Um, in fact, today I could go look at the original video switcher that I ever, uh, that I first started working on outside of the studio that is. No so way. yeah, it's pretty, pretty wild, Dude, pretty wild. That's amazing. That's amazing. Okay. So yeah. So just a low power station. Um, I think it, it was fun learning traditional old school broadcast and kind of a fun, fun thing. Um, the whole Facebook live boom Yeah. when that was new, I just got such a chuckle out of it because, uh, you know, I've been in the media game for so long now it's starting so young. I'm able to actually look at the trends from back then are kind of just coming back around. 
Really? How so? Yeah. Yeah. So like that whole live thing, yeah. like everything was all about on demand, on demand. And now like there's just been this revelation again of, you know, what, what it, how powerful it is to have a live stream, mm. you know, that sense of urgency, but also, um, uh, there's a, a lot of psychology in it. Honestly, it's like, there's that urgency. People jump in, they don't want to miss it. They want to be first. Right. Um, but also, uh, it is a form of passive listening too. you know, it's definitely passive. And I think that's the thing that people re don't realize. Um, a lot of people want to be entertained and it's in that space of entertainment where they let their walls down and that's where the message is received, mm. you know? Um, so that, I mean, I didn't plan on talking about live streaming, but it's a, it's a big part of it. So in television, I remember being inspired by the fact that I'm broadcasting this Joyce Meyer tape hmm. <laughs> into the apartment that's a block away where I know there's a bunch of dr drug addicts um, and people who are selling all kinds of stuff, but they probably have a TV still and they're listening to stuff over the air. And while most people were inspired by cinema, I was thinking, man, I'm in the, in people's lives on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. yeah. And like, it might be passively in the TV uh, in the background, but I'm constantly delivering or dripping this feed of whatever content. And I just thought, man, how amazing is it to be in people's life on a daily basis? Right. And so that actually inspired me about live streaming and broadcasting. That's amazing, man. So, man. so crazy. Like how at such an early age you were, you know, thinking down those lines of like reaching and, you know, sharing the message of the gospel and, and all that. It's just, it's really, really cool. I was, I was really serious as a kid. So <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, all right. Okay. So speaking of your childhood, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the screen right now. And when you say that you've been at Bethel for 21 years, I think, how old is Jesse Maitland? <laughs> so walk us through this, uh, this time period of 21 years <laughs> and, well, how, and you know, how it relates to Bethel Church. I have this beard here for two reasons. One, because it makes me look older. <laughs> <laughs> and two, it just hides the fat that's under my face. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so I'm 36 years old. I reluctantly say it because, uh, I just don't feel like it. So that's all right. You're, you're a young soul. Yeah. Okay. So how, how, when did you start at Bethel? I started pretty much that eighth grade year. Um, one of the teachers in that, in that, uh, studio training was our, was the audio guy at Bethel. And so his name was Ron Nagy, um, also one of my early mentors, uh, really, really awesome guy who really poured his heart into the ministry of sound wisdom. That used to be our, um, pre Bethel production name. Oh, uh, wow. yeah. A little, little, little history for you. That's amazing. Uh, sound wisdom. Uh-huh. Nice. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to sit down at illustrator today and make up a sticker. I think we need mm -hmm. a sound wisdom sticker for sure. Uh, well, I got all the secrets, I guess. Um, <laughs> cause most people don't know, but, uh, yeah, sound wisdom. It was, that was a fun time. Um, 
so many names I can mention, but Ron Nagy really was the, was one of the audio guys at that time, David um, Runyon or Dave Runyon. He, he was also a name in that, uh, he was actually over the department um, for many, many years. But um, anyway, uh, Ron got me plugged in. He got me plugged in, training me how to do audio. Um, we didn't have a video ministry, really. You know, we had a Panasonic, uh, what, is it, what was it, like a 415 or something like that. Okay. Some old, old broadcast camera in the back of the room. And we recorded on SVHS cassette tapes. Nice. Uh, and so I definitely did that for a while <laughs> <laughs> and literally just learned, just learned from there, um, got plugged in super young and I was really passionate about it. So, man. Okay. I think I remember volunteering to label the cassette audio cassette tapes. That's um, amazing. But you physically type on a typewriter onto the label. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. Yeah. Dude, that's amazing. Okay. So then you start at Bethel uh, as a kid and, you know, then you're in the, you know, we'll call it like you're in the Bethel system. Um, how did your, you know, what did your journey kind of look like, you know, coming on staff and, and making this more of a, you know, a career versus a volunteer opportunity? And what was that kind of transition like? You know, I was, I think I volunteered for about four years. Um, we, we actually did, um, we didn't have a, a video ministry, so, um, we would contract out Gene Carpenter, um, who obviously was a part of the house, but also just, he had a video business. He did all kinds of stuff. And so he was also, you know, one of my mentors and he was actually, um, a communications teacher. Um, so he, he actually used to be a teacher, but he was a retired teacher when I was hanging out with him, but, uh, he used to teach here at the local colleges and stuff. But, uh, so we would actually um, use old Canon High 8 cameras in the early days, uh, capturing some of the earliest conferences Bethel did. And I can actually tell you the first conference that we did was with Randy Clark um, when, when Bill Johnson took over. So when Bill Johnson was officially the, the lead pastor or senior pastor, mm -hmm. the first event that he did was with, with Randy Clark. And so if you know anything about Randy Clark, he's a healing, he has a healing ministry and, um, that's, that's like literally what they do. Wow. It gets, it gets a little wild. So, but that was, uh, that was event number one. And I remember thinking, this is fun. This is really fun. I, I enjoy this. And I, I think after that event, um, you know, we, we, the vision of the house had transitioned to, Hey, we're going to be a training and equipping house. Hmm. We wanted people to come experience, learn, and take it home with them. And so that's still actually the mandate today. That's our, our, our number one priority. But, um, you know, I just remember thinking, man, that's, that's not only is that fun, but it was just a powerful to see people being impacted by the message and knowing that media was going to be a huge part of it. And um, yeah, so I, I think that that's part of it, right? Yeah. It's part of the yeah. question. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. And then, okay. So then, you know, you volunteered for four years. Oh, I know. So we yeah, became yeah. A, an equipping house. That's what it was. And so logistically, 
you know, and this is probably a good thing to bring up, but we started paying people, including myself, because we needed a sustainable way to facilitate all of our events. Mm. And so with this new mandate, we just, they recognized, Hey, we have to, we just have to know that this is going to work. And, you know, (laughs) this, this could be a little challenging for people, but you know, we're all called to serve. And when money gets involved, it can be really confusing for people. Sure. Um, so I felt privileged to even get offered money to, to operate these things. But from a pastoral perspective, taking care of your people so that they could be 100% present is also a pastoral decision. Right. So volunteering doesn't mean you're suffering for Jesus, you know? Right. Like, right. right. It can still cost you something and you're being paid. Like the exchange isn't just monetary. It's also in your attention, your affection. It's in your heart. Is this your act of worship, you know? Mm. And so that's, that's, I think, a real common misconception. It's like, it's not just about the money. Right. Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay. So then at some point along the way, and maybe I'm getting timelines mixed up, but at some point along the way, you attended uh, Bethel's school. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Or their university or uh, what was that? experience like, um, you know, it makes sense, uh, starting at Bethel at such a young age. And then you just kind of like, you know, it's like, all right, this is like the next step. Like I want to, you know, go to this school. What was that experience like? And how did that kind of prepare you for what was next? Hmm. Great question. Um, wow. Well, if you can't tell, I'm, pretty serious. <laughs> I like to have fun, but I, you know, I operate at a pretty deep, uh, deep level here. Um, sure, sure. Uh, definitely motivated by impact. Um, that's the big thing for me. So, um, I think, gosh, I guess BSSM was really interesting. We have, it's a three-year program. Uh, and I originally, there used to be a high school program. Uh, so I actually was in fresh out of high school. I think i technically didn't tell them. Um, but I wasn't quite graduated from high school and I snuck into our first year program because <laughs> nice. I was just really anxious to be there. And, uh, it was just cool. It was cool to be a part of something new and to kind of focus and align your heart with not just, uh, it wasn't just information. It was an impartation and culture is to me, I think the most valuable part of BSSM was culture. It's, it's uh, some things are better caught than taught. And I struggled with that phrase for a long time until I experienced it for myself, knowing that some of the best things in life, you just have to immerse yourself in culture. And, you know, you can hear the teaching all day, but you have to experience it. Mm-hmm. You know, so BSSM, I think in a lot of ways took, um, gave a lot of permission to dream and to experiment and just to like, really test the boundaries, I guess, or like understand what is God doing? Oh, I guess he's not doing that. Or, oh, he's definitely on this thing over here, you know, um, in a place where it was safe and you were covered by people and uh, really, I mean, a really powerful, powerful experience. Wow. That's so cool, man. Okay. So after, you know, after school, after Bethel's, you know, I don't know. What do you call it? Help me out. BSSM. That's all we say. BSSM. Okay. So after BSSM, 
um, what was kind of next on the horizon for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, scooting by here. I'm kind of jumping over, uh, just skimming the top, but, uh, uh, I started going into pr- uh, production as a, for a living. Mm-hmm. I really, um, remember, I, I mean, I'm ambitious, like I want impact, but I also want money because I can make more impact, you know? Right, right, right. Um, so I, you know, I started doing a production company in, uh, here in town and I used to travel with several companies doing live events, uh, mostly along the West coast. So I go all the way up as far as Washington and all the way to Southern California, Los Angeles area. Uh, for some, some of you listening, Reading is extremely far North in California. We are, depending how you drive anywhere between six and eight hours from Los Angeles. <laughs> depending so. <laughs> on how you drive. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's a pretty good ways. And, uh, so that was kind of the full spread. So even at 17, I was starting to travel and do that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, lost my train of thought. Talk okay. about events. Yep. What was next after BSS? What was next? Yeah. So I definitely was like in this mode of making money and trying to build something. And I really wanted to take the message of our house, the culture of our house, and really help other ministries launch themselves and not just launch their ministry and their impact, but help them with their resources, resourcing people and helping kind of get that income thing going for them so that they could keep producing content. So I think I helped several people uh, really develop curriculums and courses and all that kind of stuff before it was cool. (laughs) Um, And I think I remember the first one of my projects my buddy and I, we made our first auto start CD. So when you popped it in, oh, it would yeah. automatically start the, the browser would load yep. and you can navigate all the content. Uh, we were so proud of that because that was, you know, that was a big deal. Yeah, There wasn't software to do that. You had to do that by hand. <laughs> <laughs> so you, um, you may be, you may be 36, man, but dude, you just have so much technology that goes back way, way back. Yeah, man. I always joke with my team. It's like, I'm not running. Well, I'm running on passion, you know, because they oftentimes people ask like, how do you have the energy? And it's like, cause I'm running on passion. Mm. It carries you so much further, you know? That's amazing. That's amazing. But uh, yeah, so that was the early days. And then 2007, 2008, we had a recession. Um, I lasted a while until all my clients, their money dried up and then had to close up shop hmm. and then uh, transition back into a full-time role. I've always been a part of Bethel production, but I've definitely come in and out as a full-time or a part-time person. I gotcha. You know, um, so after 2008, um, well, well, starting in 2008, I went back to full-time and I served mostly audio, but at that time we had just launched Bethel, uh, TV, our, our online streaming, um, thing was experimental. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had just started the works of that. And I was definitely a part of the early conversations and launching that as well. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, dude. So when, you know, prior to hitting record on this, you and I were talking about, um, you know, Jesus culture and kind of how you were a part of that, um, kind of initial push or movement, whatever you want to call it. Um, Talk to us about that and kind of your involvement in in that uh, in that time period. 
Yeah, uh, that's a fun one. Uh, you know, Jesus Culture was original. They're their own ministry now, um, but they did start in Bethel. And, you know, depending on who you ask, you'll get maybe slight, slightly different details. But uh, ironically, the uh, it started in my youth group. Um, the original Jesus Culture team was my, was my youth group. That's and uh, yeah, isn't that wild? It's just it's right. like, I've been there forever. So it's like, I have all these great stories, but right. um, you know, I mean, Jen Johnson was singing. <clears throat> I was her audio guy in youth group and that was fun. Uh, Chris Kialala played uh, drums back then and uh, Gabe Valenzuela, who's one of our staff guys runs our second year ministry. Um, he also would play keys or all the synth and stuff. So a lot of old, um, a lot of, a lot of faces were in my youth group when I was younger. And, um, Brian Johnson was my small group leader for, for a period of time. Um, yeah, so fun, fun things like that. Uh, most of the Jesus culture team today, uh, I at least went to someone to a few of their birthdays, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, so that was where that started. But in that time, you know, BTV wasn't really a thing. And we started, um, it was Nathan Grubbs, who was our creative director for Bethel. And he started also doing stuff for, uh, he oversaw the media department for a while. And then he also was working with Jesus culture, who was just a little office in our building, you know? Right. And, um, you know, we started building this, this brain. We're like, what do we, what does it look like? I, I think the message of our youth group was really special and they started experimenting with original music and original songs and banding was a fantastic, um, pastor and, and a really dynamic speaker and, uh, really inspired us as youth to really like dedicate our hearts to God and to really, um, to dream big, like, he he would always charge us with the message of the, we're all leaders. And he would challenge every single person, like, what does it mean to be set apart? Dedicate this season of your youth to the Lord. Don't be distracted by all these other things. And so, you know, being that young and being ambitious and feeling this call on my life, I definitely took that serious. And I was definitely pushing, like, I gotta, I gotta do this right because, you know, like, there's this calling on my life and I don't want to waste time, you know? So I definitely was, was really focused. And so anyway, long story short, um, that transitioned into my business in the future, but also our team, we really built this team of individuals who are growing what it looked like to bring a immersive video experience because the mandate of Jesus culture was, Hey, we owe the world an encounter. We want people to show up and encounter Jesus in a powerful way. We're not here to entertain. We're here to transform hearts. And so there was this real conviction of like, this is sovereign and we want people to, to experience him and not an emotional high, but a transformational uh, experience in their heart, you know? Mm. And so it was, you know, that, that I think that's what really made Jesus culture take off was this dedication and fervency of real transformation and real encounters with the Lord. And even though we had at that point, that was the big production, you know, like we pulled, we, we rented all the lights and we did all the stuff and it was really like a big youth group essentially. Um, but people were, were, were being impacted and, you know, we wanted our media to reflect that and we didn't want perfection we didn't want broadcast. 
So a lot of the early conversations of like what Bethel production today is really was birthed in conversations with Nathan Grubbs, Luke Manwaring, uh, even Drake Kelch, myself, uh, just dreaming about what it meant to translate into, into a technical environment. Mm. Okay. So you brought up a really interesting, you know, kind of, I don't know what the right word is, dichotomy in a way where there's this line between entertainment and transformation. And, Mm. you know, how did, because I I think it's really, you know, pretty easy to, to kind of divert into entertainment and okay, what, what are we going to do to get the most eyes? Um, but how has Bethel been able to kind of walk that line um, uh, so well uh, over the years? Ooh, good one. Um, I would say from, from a pastoral, like our pastoral team, Bill, a lot of people don't know this about Bethel. I mean, you wouldn't know, but for the first, gosh, 15 years, we didn't advertise. Um, we just didn't. We wanted people to, I mean, I say we didn't, I mean, we probably <laughs> barely did anything, but we intentionally did not advertise and promote and do the things that other people do for events. Mm-hmm. Um, because we really wanted people to feel drawn and called to what we would say the heartbeat, you know, yeah, heartbeat of what we were doing. And that was really important to us. And so just drawing the right people was probably a really big part of it. And I think, um, I think that like, you can tell there's this intensity about like the words and, and the way that I communicate of really protecting the move of God. What is he really doing? And I think that trickles down in our culture, which is, you know, we don't ever want to um, make it cheap or take away from. And so we're, we're very, very, um, intentional about stewarding what God is doing, what, how he is communicating and all that kind of stuff. So when it comes to events, we wouldn't really promote because we wanted the right people there, but uh, you know, we just didn't want people to say, Oh, they're just trying to make money or they're just, you know, trying to be the next big thing. You know, right. we, we wanted it to be organic. And so our, our, our stage was really built on, a lot of like core values of, you know, we're putting him first and a lot of integrity. Like it requires a lot of integrity, even in my job, it's, you know, when we're as technology, I would consider us technological pastors, you know, we, we pastor technology. Sure. Um, we're facilitating the message. Uh, but we're, we're having to ask ourselves questions of why am I doing this? Is this, is this a conversation birthed out of ego or is this out of impact? Like how, how is this piece of technology serving the mission or vision? Hmm. And so, you know, and that's hard. And I think I even had a conversation, you know, just managing my team, um, you know, accolades are fun and we appreciate it, but you ask anybody on my team and they'll say that this is worship and this is how they express their worship. Um, And, you know, I think the, the definition of success in my environment is when I leave and the standard is is still growing and is still there without me. And my any any one of my my team will just not tolerate anything short of the best because God deserves our best. 
So I think um, this, this, this synergy of protecting um, uh, the move of God, (laughs) not wanting to take away from what his agenda is and really holding each other accountable is a sense of like family or small group. Um, And we all just serve with our whole heart. It is our, it it is our worship. So Hmm. I think logistically you'll see that we're more public facing these days because we recognize that we're a voice, you know, in, in the global church. And we want to make sure that we're doing what's appropriate, you know? Right. And so we're trying to protect people and also, you know, get the right messages out there, but we're definitely still motivated by the same thing. So I I think that answers the question. No, you did. Well done. Well done. Good job. I didn't plan for that. So <laughs> I know I kind of threw a curveball at you, but you, <laughs> you mentioned it during that. And I was like, man, like that's, that's yeah. such a hard line, uh, you know, to walk when you're talking about, you know, church, the gospel, you know, what God is up to. And yet we're also, um, in a sense, you know, a lot of, you hear a lot of churches talk about like, we're competing with Netflix and like, how do we get eyes off of that and onto us? and um, I just think it's an important conversation to have. And I love that, um, you know, Bethel has, you know, rooted itself in, mm-hmm. you know, kind of this idea of, look, like we're not, we're, we're going to be message first and what God is up to first and whatever comes out of that. So be it. Yeah. In fact, it's funny you mentioned that, you know, I think there's a lot of churches who, they think of streaming as just evangelism and that's great. Um, and I'm really passionate about this, but you know, if you're not gotta be careful how I say some of this, um, <laughs> uh, it's beautiful to be streaming. Like, I think that's great. Everybody should stream. You know, it, some people might be offended by that, but I think everybody should stream. I think it serves a foundational need of serving your body. <laughs> um, and really just facilitating technology in the way that people live today. Like that's a big deal. Uh, make it accessible, right? Like level one, make your content accessible to the people the way that they want it and the way that they need to consume it. Um, that's like level one success for me. I think next level is delivering quality, you know, um, how do we just improve quality? But level three is we enter into the conversations how are we facilitating on a deeper level where we're reaching transformational experiences that might look like a Bible study, not just huge production value, but how are we making the content accessible for people? Not all content is meant for consumption, uh, public consumption. Mm. And I think that's the other thing is um, if you're not creating your best content for your people, that's maybe private. I would do it on a private platform. Um, I would rethink some of the content strategy that you're having because just broadcasting your church is ignoring an opportunity to steward your influence online and pastor an online community. Like that is a whole nother thing. Like that's a, it's the modern day pastoral experience. And if you're not making space for it somewhere, um, then you're just missing out. So that's stream. Yeah. But yeah. remember you're, you're pastoring an online audience and that's the world we live in. So, uh, your best content should not, in my opinion, your best content shouldn't be for public consumption. It should be for pastoring your people. 
So really that message is about like challenging yourself to, to not ignore that opportunity. That's very well said. Well done. And, uh, Thank you for talking about what you're passionate about. That's awesome. Okay. So, uh, oh wait. Okay. So you did mention something a little while back where you're like, um, you said something about, you know, we're not doing this just to become the next big thing. And yet you personally have been involved in two very large worship movements you know, with Jesus culture and, and Bethel music. Um, what has that been like for you personally, kind of, uh, you know, being in the foundations and the inner workings of these two, you know, kind of, you know, call them mega worship movements or whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. it. Um, you know, uh, one, I guess, what has that been like? And two, like, how do you, um, manage those kind of expectations or, or, um, you know, uh, for lack of a better way to say it, like how, how do you not get overconfident being a part of like these amazing, you know, uh, aspirational type movements, um, personally? Yeah. Um, you know, we, <laughs> there's a lot I could say here. Um, I would probably say, you know how, when, when you're, when, I guess when you're maybe a little burned out or you lose perspective, how people would commonly say like, Hey, you should go on a missions trip or something like, Mm -hmm. like basically go find some need and just get your perspective shifted. You know? Um, I think in anything that we're doing in life, we have the opportunity. Well, we can outsmart ourselves. If you can be smarter than yourself and anticipate where you might go mentally or in your heart or whatever, like you can actually trick yourself and know, Hey, usually I get burned out when I do this thing. So I'm going to make sure I plan ahead of time and, and change my perspective. So I don't fall into that trap or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. like, I think there's tools that we can do to really like optimize ourselves. Um, I, I don't know if that makes sense to anybody, but it does for me in my mind. That's all right. That's all right. We're tracking, we're tracking. <laughs> um, but it's staying tender, you know, and I, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but we're talking about accolades and our guys really do. Um, it's nice, but our staying in a place of worship, keeping our heart's affection on him, which is his presence, the message, like what he's doing is definitely, definitely the secret. And I think a lot of Bethel productions, um, I mean, this goes across the board, but it's really prevalent in our video ministry um, is the, uh, the way that we film is actually a heart posture and we want to be anticipating where God is moving on stage. So you can see it between different musicians and I've had times I can feel the emotion kind of stirring in me, but I've had times where we're, we're directing and the camera guy is catching the drummer, you know, in a really tender moment. Um, and I'll just start weeping, mm. you know, because you can tell God is on that musician. And, uh, you know, when you're, it's a whole different experience when you are anticipating where God's going to be and being ready for it. Cause then he can, he can really like move through you because you've positioned yourself to be the instrument, you know, 
our camera is an instrument. So to answer the question though, it is about heart posture and engaging on a spiritual level where we don't, um, where we have genuine relationships with the Lord, where we are seeking his presence from, from a pers- my perspective, I think I didn't really know. I was excited to have, uh, to have impact, but I guess a lot of times I don't really realize how much reach we have. So I'm a little bit ignorant cause I'm in it, you know, for me, this is my local church. Right. Um, but, but my corporate experience has been really special because I've been immersed in this culture. And when I go do these corporate things where they're godless, you know, mm-hmm. and realizing, um, that they're stepping onto my stage. So I shift from a director to a production manager in those environments. And as a production manager, my job is to create a space for them and not just a stage, but, um, a space where they feel safe, empowered, uh, where they feel supported and really trying to help them with their experience that they're creating. And so I'm asking questions, uh, lots of leading questions to prep them. But at the same time, I'm bringing my kingdom values into this environment. And, uh, I've had multiple people, um, in this corporate space where they'll just come, uh, to our backstage area and they'll just weep with me. Mm. Um, and they'll just share like really deep things. And, you know, I realized this is a ministry. It's like, we get some perspective on this media is catching people in some vulnerable places. They're facing hard things or insecurities or their inadequacies. Like they're confronted with all of it. And our job, yes, we facilitate technology, but we're also creating a stage, both physically and spiritually. Um, really opened my eyes to the whole thing. So I feel really humbled <laughs> <laughs> that I'm just a media guy who was excited about impact. And now I'm realizing it's not just out there. It's also right in front of me. And so I, I, I've, I've never really felt the ego of it all. Um, I think I didn't. I I didn't realize I was good at camera work until about two years ago. Um, you know, I, I'm probably one of the best follow cam ops out there. No one really likes sticks. And I didn't realize uh, how good I was until about maybe a year and a half ago. Really? Yeah. It's just really wild. So to even say that, it makes me feel a little weird. But I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm actually really good at it. Like, uh, I don't know. I haven't met anyone better. So if you think you're better... <laughs> please reach out. Let's duel it out. Let's see. (laughs) (laughs) Follow cam Um, op wars. I know. Right. There's the, there's the whole rubber band effect and like making it really, really locked in. And then there's the, how do you make it look like it's not on sticks? And so I think I do those things really well, but um, I would say community really helps with that, man. It's like when you're serving people and you're serving others, not just yourself, like your affection is set on him and you're also serving others you're not really making space to think about yourself. So wow. really long winded answer. No, I, um, I, I love it. That's this a lot is, of layers to that. That's good. That's good. This is, this is a podcast, man. We got, we got nothing, yeah. but, nothing yeah. but time, <laughs> <laughs> nothing but time. All right. Uh, okay. So here's a question that, you know, I feel like needs to have more conversation around just in production in general, especially in the church world. Um, when it comes to uh, living in and working in a time period or a season of transition. And so Bethel's going through that right now. 
um, with some leaders transitioning to Mm -hmm. a different season of life and new leaders coming in. And um, what has that been like for you? And what has that been like for your team? Maybe even as a church as a whole, like how are you guys walking through that and, and walking through that well in a season where maybe there could be some uncertainty uh, as to, you know, what's next or, you know, who's in charge and all this different stuff. Yeah. So lots of transition in our environment, it's left and right. And, you know, in transition, everybody kind of reevaluates things, you know, if so-and-so does it, maybe I should too. And that's, I mean, I think it's good. I think it's a great thing. Um, Anybody feeling a call for something obviously should go do that thing because we're, we're in pursuit of something greater than ourselves. You know, um, when you lose sight of that, that that's just a real bummer. You're stagnant, you know, you always want to be growing and Bethel's really, um, an environment full of, I guess you'd say entrepreneurs, you know, like we're really, most of us there are called to ministry, our own ministry, you know, I would say even myself, it's like, I've been doing production work forever. Uh, if I didn't work for Bethel, I'm still doing the same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Cause this is the ministry that I'm in and I, I carry a personal conviction in that. And I think that's a real, that's what actually what I want to talk about is, you know, when you feel, when you're called by the Lord, it's your conviction that you pastor and steward, you know, we want fathers and we want leaders to, to guide us and we should pursue those. But ultimately he's the one leading us and carrying that conviction will carry you through transition in a completely different way. Um, you're no longer uncertain, you know, because it is your conviction. You're already living your message. And, um, you know, and that was a big deal for me. Like, you know, even taking over for someone like Chad, you know, Chad has a, a big name, you know, it's, uh, I thought it would be super simple because I, you know, I've been in the environment actively working and serving for so long and nothing replaced the process. Like I still had to go through the growing pains of becoming a leader over a department, mm. you know, winning a certain sense of favor, um, earning trust in a new role. Um, you know, these guys were my friends, they were my peers and now they're my employees. And so there's just no way to shortcut it. But even my leaders above me giving me input of things that they want to see different or, um, just different. We'll, we'll say that. And, really wanting to um, prove it's like we have this need to prove something we want to naturally, we want to prove to ourselves and prove to others that we can do it. Sure. You know, but if it's birth, if it's birthed out of this insecurity of, I just want to prove to them that I'm good enough. It usually just doesn't work. And it wasn't working for, for me uh, until I realized until I was just done, I just realized I have to do what's true to my conviction and I have to do what I know and what I think is right so that I could become fully alive and fully effective in my role. And as soon as I just went in all in, went all in on that right there, instead of trying to make everybody happy, um, I wasn't effective. So I was like, I'm going to make someone unhappy, (laughs) (laughs) but right now it's not working. So uh, you might as well just give it a shot, you know? Sure. And so all of a sudden, literally like a light switch, my directing got better, um, my capacity for managing team and logistics and all those, 
those types of things really um, got a lot, uh, a lot, a lot more um, optimized or streamlined and conversations with people became much more powerful and things were getting done. So, um, you know, give yourself some credit. Like if you're called, you know, go all in on the conviction that you're pastoring and carrying and don't worry so much on what other people are saying. You know, we're here to serve. Our hearts are tender. Um, but if you're living and making decisions out of insecurity, you're just never going to have impact. Hmm. Dude, that's so good. So good. Um, okay. So kind of on that same kind of topic of impact. And Don't forget I, to switch. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you. There we go. Look at that. The director and me. Dude, well done. Well done. I'm so glad you can see the multi-view. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So on that same topic of impact um, and kind of taking this, you know, call it new leadership role um, in your department, what is it, what is it like, um, kind of leading this, you know, this team, this, you know, Bethel production as it were, um, like what are some of the challenges in that, you know, and not not specifically during transition, you know, that could be a part of it, of course, but just like, you know, that this idea of like, you're now responsible for people. Uh, versus, you know, a production, if that makes sense. And how do you, how do you balance that? How do you work through that? And maybe, you know, what are some, uh, you know, maybe what's a, a core kind of leadership principle that maybe you can share with us and our listeners, um, you know, kind of as we go into our day to day and are looking for um, maybe something to help us. Gosh, uh, I don't want to, sound like I'm repeating myself. <laughs> uh, I would say the, let's, let's sum it up real quick. Let's ask me the question one more time. Yeah, no, shorter. absolutely. Yeah. Sorry. I, I do kind of ramble on my questions. Uh, okay. So leading people comes with a lot of different challenges. You know, mm -hmm. we were talking about having impact leading through yeah. transition, uh, your, your peers, your friends, uh, now kind of becoming employees what are some of the challenges that you faced as a leader um, stepping into that role? And what are, what's maybe one kind of leadership nugget that you could share with us that could help? Yeah, us? Let's, let's give this a shot here. Um, <laughs> we'll give this a shot. So I think one of the, the things when I first took the role, I, you know, I'll, I was going to have my, I have my suggestions and, everybody's going to have their preferences. And I remember this tension of uh, certain people on my team feeling like they needed to protect or advocate for something from the past, like they had to defend it. Hmm. And it was a real like indicator to me. I'm like, wow, I need to develop trust with this person because they're not trusting me that I have that exact heartbeat in mind. 
And it's like, even though I've been here for 20 something years, um, not all of them have been here that long. You know, most of them have only been here uh, three to five years and they don't have that history and they don't have my heart history. And so learning that I have to steward a relationship with each and every single employee is completely different. Um, you know, operating, uh, managing contractors is a completely different experience. Let me tell you, hmm. um, you, you have a list of demands. This is what you're going to do. You pay them a rate and you demand, you know, not perfection, but you demand excellence. Otherwise they don't get paid. That's it. It's really a simple transaction, but you add an employee model on top of that. And then you also add a movement, you know, mm-hmm. where we're motivated by passion and, we have all these callings and like heart complexities and uh, their personal lives, their families, you know, it gets really, really um, complex. And I think my biggest thing was realizing, Hey, I need to build trust with them that I'm putting them first and that my I'm invested in them. And, you know, the big shift was, um, I guess I needed to prove that, honestly. I just needed to let them know that I was there to, even though I was passionate and driven, I think it made them a little nervous, mm. you know, um, just because I, I, I just have a big drive. And once I prior to, prioritized their hearts, they knew that I was for them, not for myself. I earned a lot more respect with them. And, and, and again, I was their friends, but I needed to earn their respect as a leader. Mm. And so, uh, and in the church, I think that's true in any ministry. It's like, you got to put your people first when you do, you know, from a management perspective, they perform better, like they will perform better. And so just like I am trying to inspire them to bring their best to the team and to what we produce, you know, I'm asking them the same questions. Like, what's the vision? Like, I love what you're doing here. Uh, do you have vision with your, what's your vision for your family? Like what's something that you see yourself doing and trying to um, take the same posture that they're bringing to my work environment and asking, like helping them take that into their, their, their life. Right. So there's definitely that pastoral pastoral element of, do you have vision for how this is going to serve that really, really helps uh, close the gap. So a practical example is, uh, you know, if they have a dream in their heart, like how is this going to help them get there? Um, so any correlations I can have or make is a big deal. Um, I feel like that's kind of rambling and very vague, so I apologize. No, that's, that's awesome. Thank you. That's, and and so just to kind of pile on that, like, I feel like, you know, so often you hear, you know, to the point of it almost becoming cliche where it's like, you know, whatever type of leadership role you're in, you know, if you make it about your people, that your product per se is going is going to benefit. Absolutely. Um, and yet, so often we can get so focused on the product that the people become second, and then all of a sudden things start to fall apart. And so, I think that's yeah, super important. I, I would probably. Um, I think one of the things. This is something I'm really passionate about. So the. I, during, during, uh, COVID, um, when we were still pretty much in lockdown, you know, it was a real challenge for everybody. Right. And, uh, 
I think uh, I I saw my business completely shut down. Um, it was financially extremely detrimental to to me. You know, um, so yeah, there is no aid for uh, self employed people. So that was a that was a rough season. I, I think it revealed a lot of just stuff I needed to work on in my own heart. But uh, it was just a fascinating time period. I think, uh, gosh, I I met with several people just before that happened, and then also during. Um, all tech directors or video directors of some level, and I was so. Uh, sh- I was shocked at how many of the people that I was interviewing, just having a conversation like you and I are, um, where they just didn't have a strong sense of their identity outside of the work that they were doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and they could not make... Now, some of this is like, you got to realize, I-, I got my filter on, like, I see things from my culture. Um, so don't be offended when I say a lot of people out there can't make a, t- a decision without their pastor. Sure, sure. You know what I mean? And it's, it's, uh, to be effective, I think in this role, uh, you, to be a leader, you have to learn how to lead yourself Mm -hmm. and you have to have a sense of who you are. If you don't know your identity or the value you bring, you're just, you just can't do it. Um, and so that was a real eye opener for me. It's like, if you are struggling with your passion or your, your reason for doing what you're doing, you know, it's, uh, and you need some conviction, you know, talk to me, I'll give you a vision, but ultimately you really want that to come from the Lord. It's the calling for your life. Um, and it grounds you to the truth. And, you know, the, in culture, we talk about, um, you know, what's your truth is the phrase, right? Mm-hmm. And it always frustrates me because it's not your truth. It's his truth. Jesus is the truth in the way. And so if he's guiding you, he's going to give you a purpose, and you have a place to, uh, you have a, a spot in the kingdom. Like you are facilitating the kingdom of the Lord. So don't, uh, don't sell yourself short. Like, you know, it's, he's for you, not against you. And, um, I would challenge you to really seek, seek it out, seek out that relationship in that way. Hmm. So, so good. So, so yeah, I, I think that adds a little bit extra to the end there, huh? <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay. So we're getting close to the end of our time together. And that always makes me a little bit sad because I feel like, you know, I just want to, I could talk to all of our guests forever. Um, we're just talking about, you know, our, Hold on. I'm going to start that over. <laughs> start that over sure. again. Um, okay. So we are coming to our time. Yeah. Okay. So we are coming to the end of our time together. And it always makes me sad because I feel like we could just talk forever on this stuff. And um, I, I'm hoping that people that are listening um, are receiving something from it. Um, because I know I am. I know that I can get myself wrapped up in... You know, where does my identity lie? Um, you know, am am I what I do or am I who God says I am? And I know that I can kind of like mm-hmm. fluctuate between those two. And so this has been really helpful uh, for me to to hear as well. So thank you for sharing all that. Cool. Um, awesome. 
but we always uh, want to just uh, kind of bring it back to you know what what's at what's at the heart of what Jesse does. You know, gear is great. Um, red Komodos are amazing. <laughs> we love those. <laughs> um, but what what is it that makes you tick? And, and I have a feeling, you know, we're going to hear some stuff that we've heard before, and that's okay. Um, but in a nutshell, you know, you know, what's your why? Oh man, I think, well, maybe I'll put a little different spin on it. Cause, um, you know, gosh, do I want to share this? Yes. Yes. You uh, do. <laughs> um, I, I know there's a mixed audience that's going to hear this. And so I just want people to hear my heart here. Um, my walk with the Lord is probably just a bit unconventional in the sense that um, I have a lot of moments with the Lord where uh, have it's just like these marked moments in my timeline where just things changed. And I think whenever we experience the truth of who he is and when he, so I would say when he encounters us in that moment, um, a true encounter does not leave you the same. You'll always be marked and it'll always change you in some way. Um, when I was, so when, when my salvation, when I was four, this won't be long, I promise, but That's okay. when I was four years old, I, um, I was listening to this crazy ser- uh, sermon on the radio. It was terrible. It was driving through the grapevine on the way to Los Angeles. Uh, so we were making the trek. It was a good long drive and it's early mornings. Uh, it's probably like very, very early. It's probably like six 30 in the morning. And, um, the message was kind of wild, definitely a uh, counterculture to what I'm experiencing today. Um, but I remember after the sermon asking my mom, you know, like, mom, I don't want that to happen to me. How do I get saved? <laughs> <laughs> so mom, you know, good old mom was like, okay, well let's pray. And so we, we had a little salvation prayer in the car and, um, we, I said the prayer and I'm like sitting there thinking about my decision and it was like, man, that was a great decision. I like that, you know, <laughs> feeling real, real content. Yeah. It's funny how you can remember these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so we're, <laughs> I'm exp- uh, just, I'm happy about this decision and then feeling the real like call of the Lord, I guess. And, um, I think, uh, in that moment though, all of a sudden my sister's in the back sleeping. It's just my mom and I in the front seats and I hear um, a man's voice speak to me, right? And he says my name. And so I respond, I'm like, whoa, who's in the car? Mom, there's a man in the car. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so like, obviously there was no man in the car. Right. And uh, the radio was off at this point. And, you know, the only thing I could conclude was that it was the Lord calling me, you know, just saying my name. And, you know, a lot of us would say, well, why would he, why would the Lord just say your name or something. And I think um, I was privileged in my salvation experience to, to hear the voice of the Lord. Um, but it meant I was able to, to go through life with this expectation or just knowing God has called me, mm. you know, and, and that simple truth and the simple fact that he validated my salvation and that he had called me. Um, and I think when you're, when you encounter the love of the father, um, 
it changes you. Your, your motivation is so different. You're living for the kingdom and you know, you're, you're happy to, to lay your life down for that. Uh, and it doesn't mean you're, we're not powerful people, but it does mean that we're living for a purpose outside of ourselves and we set our eyes or our gaze on him, it's going to motivate you, you know? Dude. And so, so my why is like, I, I am impact driven um, and I love metrics. <laughs> I even love seeing lots of money come in because, because I, I, my attachment to the things of this world, I, I pray get less and less every day. It doesn't mean I hide from them. But I recognize that God's economy works different than mine. And so these material things are not really relevant to the big mission. Sure. Um, and so whatever way I can serve people is my privilege, especially when I allow myself to encounter his love for me and his love for others. And I think that's the part we often forget is we have to love people too. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. just our love. And it's, if we're being encountered by his love, we're being marked and changed, um, and we have to love people. And if you're having a hard time loving them, you know it's like, man, let's get that, let's get that offense out of there. Hmm. You know, let's remove those things and learn how to love again. And uh, also, um, I think you know, there's a lot of tension in the world today, even within the faith of what's right and wrong. It's like, man, if we had a love encounter pursuing the truth, like the truth is the revelation of who Jesus is. Um, but if we put that in the front and center, we're going to see the truth different. And even when we disagree, you know, we're going to be disagreeing with the pursuit of truth, not who's right and wrong. Wow. Dude. So I think it's um, my ultimate conviction to steward conversations that, produce real change and real impact, not just to entertain viewers, but at the end of the, at the end of the day, that your family is transformed, that you are living in your true centered sense of identity and purpose and calling, um, that you would encounter the love of Jesus. Well, so if that's not the perfect end to a podcast <laughs> interview, I don't know what is, but <laughs> Jesse, seriously, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it, you know, I just, I can't say enough um, just about, you know, your, the conviction that you wear on your sleeve um, is infectious and uh, inspiring. And um, yeah, just so grateful for the time we've been able to share today. So thank you so much for making, making this happen. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I think this is the first one I got teary-eyed on. So, <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Like I said, we are we are pretty famous around here, so it's, <laughs> we do our best. <laughs> just just kidding, guys. Just kidding. All right, have a good one, man. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. Well, that was awesome, wasn't it, Nate? Nate? Nope. Oh yeah, Nate's not here, but that's okay. I'm going to give you a recap and we'll get you out of here. Uh, big thing that stood out to me from that episode was just this theme of identity and knowing that you aren't what you do, you are who you are. And I just feel like that can be applied in so many different areas of production. Um, it, it's so easy. I, I know I told Jesse, like that's something that I personally struggled with a lot 
you know, during my time in ministry is like, I'm not what I do. And yet so often, like I viewed myself as that. And so, um, it's, it's not a good place to be. It's not a fun place to be where then all of a sudden, especially, you know, during this, these past, you know, so many months of dealing with lockdowns and shutdowns and all this different stuff, like all of a sudden a lot of that was taken away. And then we were kind of left with, you know, the, the shell of maybe what we, what we had. And then all of a sudden we're like, wait, what, who am I if I'm not doing what I'm doing? You know? And so it's just really, really important to take inventory on that and, uh, and sort that out, um, before it, you know, causes some problems. I think the other cool thing was when he talked about going through transitions. I know in production, you know, especially in the church world, there can be a lot of different, you know, whether it's personnel transition or vision transitions or, you know, leadership transitions where things are kind of shifting and, and all of a sudden you kind of become unsure of, you know, maybe what your role is or who am I reporting to or where is this whole thing going? And uh, again, just kind of going back to the identity theme, like who you are is not what you do. And that really being a catalyst to kind of help you through any sort of transitions you might be going through. So hope you guys took a lot away from that. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Don't forget, like, follow, share, all that good stuff helps get the word out um, and helps other people that are in the shadows feel seen. So it's a win-win. That is it for today. And we will see you next time. Thanks. Thank you.